Hi, I'm Sienna Rouse. Welcome to Ladyland. Think about your closest friend. Maybe you know where she works, but do you know what she does all day? Do you know her job title? Do you know what she studied in school? Turns out, I didn't. So, I made a podcast to find out. Welcome to Ladyland. I'm your host, Kim Baldwin. This is a conversation with women from all walks of life and different backgrounds. It's funny at times, serious at times, but always honest. This is Ladyland. Sianna, thanks for coming to Ladyland. It's it's good to see you. Yes, so good to see you too. On uh, Ladyland, I like to have my guests introduce themselves. So if you don't mind, will you just tell everyone who you are, a little bit about what you do? What do they need to know? Well, my name is Sianna Rouse, and I write poetry. That's probably the thing that I like to say the most because poetry has always been a part of my life. I live here in Nashville, Tennessee uh, with my Patrick and my puppy, my Lacey. Uh, and I get to follow my fascinations through, through language. So that's right. That's, that's how I spend my days. I like that you say you write poetry as opposed to I am a poet. I don't know what the difference is, but I like the way you said it. Yeah, I mean, and, and I I am a poet as well, right? Like, I like to kind of put on that cape every once in a while, too. Um, but yeah, that is how I, that's how, how I spend my days, is, is one of the ways I like to say say a thing. And so, yeah, I spend my days writing I and like reading. It. I read a lot. Speaking of books, can we talk about your chapbook, Vanta Black? Yes, for sure. So that was, let's see. I've lost track of time. I'm like, that was two years ago. That was not two years ago. Was it 2017? Yeah, it was quite a while ago, actually. Right. So it was 2017 that Third Man Books published it. What was it like working with Third Man? I know. So wild. So wild and wonderful. Third Man is... Have you been in the record store? Yeah. Yeah. And so I... And, and maybe you've been in the whole area, but it feels like kind of walking into the chocolate factory. <laughs> just about to say the chocolate factory yes it's it's very like you lose track of your senses and just like wait where am I right now right right yeah you're just kind of mesmerized and into this whole new world of wonder and then there's you know once you get past the door you're still in that world you know that's been created in the record store it's happening back there and so there's this feeling of magic and wonder in the space and Chet Wisey is the publisher for the book imprint for Third Man. And he is a gracious reader of poetry and, you know, writer himself and just incredible to work with. Um, they were very open to my ideas uh, for, you know, how, how we put this work into the world. And they take so much time and care uh, for, for their artists. If you're a part of Third Man Books, then you're part of the label, you know, the Third Man family and the Third Man label. They were wonderful to work with, but also just to be a part of the family. I love, I love being a part of it. I'm not surprised to hear that, but it's really good to hear. I think they do 
a really good job. They seem to be great advocates for artists and artists' work. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, music and literature are such kindred. It's it's very different. You know, living in Nashville, when you tell someone you're a writer, they always assume songwriter. <laughs> and then when I say, no, I write poetry, they're like, oh, well, you should write songs. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I mean, if they were the same, then I would be writing songs because they... <laughs> it's never occurred to me that so much more. people ask you that, but of course they do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, how funny. Uh, yeah, so they're so different and yet kindred, right? Music and literature. Yes, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. And you, did you do, is your podcast with Third Man on hiatus? Is it finished for now, Reverb? Yeah, so we actually did take a break. Yeah, so it was on hiatus and just kind of trying to figure out, yeah, I don't know, that may be it. But also we've thought through what it might be like to, to reemerge with it. I have lived that <laughs> accidental year hiatus. Yeah, <clears throat> it's a lot of work. So it's a tremendous amount of work. Podcasters, because yeah. I partake in podcasting a lot. I mean, I just am constantly listening to someone in my ear, and so I am like, "Oh, bless you all!" It's a lot of work. It's good. I mean, we enjoyed it so much. So my host, my co-host, is Kendra DeColo, who is one of my closest friends and incredible poet. And one of the things that we said from the beginning is that we would only have guests that we were already obsessed with and really excited to talk to. And so, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that part of just getting to sit and chat with people that we love and admire whose, whose work already inspires us. So, yeah, it was, it was a great podcast. I'm happy with what you did. If you want to bring it back, I will happily listen and no pressure. You're, you've got a lot of plates spinning as it is, I would imagine. Oh, yes. <laughs> this is a true story. So Vanta Black is a chap book. And you're kind of like a chap book champion, which I like about you. What do you want people to know about chap books? Why should we all be buying more chap books? Oh, this is such a great question. So I am quite a chap book champion. I think that they're maybe more artifact than anything, you know, um, it's art, but also artifact. And so there's this aspect of chapbooks that make me feel like we're, you know, you're holding something that's ancient and that started before major publishing was happening in the world. People were putting together these leaflets and, you know, so you're kind of connecting to this ancient thing. Um, and then, it can live for a long time and in just a small, short way, you know, you just get to spend time with a concentrated amount of poetry that is maybe super specific. Often it's the first thing that an artist is releasing, right? So if you're an author, that might be your first entry into the world of poetry publishing. And so there's just something really special about having it or, or it can be a container, you know, like I said earlier, I get to follow fascinations. And so every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, I have to write about this thing. And it's never going to be a full collection of poetry. Um, but I need to write about, you know, this era of time and get focused in on that. And so the chapbook is this super wonderful container for smaller amounts of poetry. So, and if you're not 
really huge into poetry or, or you feel intimidated by it, as some people still do, then the chapbook is also, you know, just shorter and yeah, and more distilled. So that it may just feel like, okay, I can tackle these 10 to 15 poems as opposed to trying to read an entire collection. Yeah, I loved yours. It was interesting. I reread it this morning and I was realizing since I read it, I have seen you read poetry live more. <laughs> so it was very interesting to read Vanta Black myself, like to hear myself read it in my mind, because I'm at this point, I've seen you read live. And I was like, oh, it's interesting to read this, but not to watch you read it to me. I don't know if that makes sense, but. No, I, I mean, I want to hear more. <laughs> it was, you know, I, I definitely, so one of the things that Third Man pays attention to when publishing, especially poets, actually not just poets, uh, because it, you know, Third Man does come from the music world and performance is such a huge part of it. They do pay attention to how well the authors share their work and, you know, and like how they are able to present work in a public space. And so I know that that's one of the reasons why I, you know, they ended up publishing me actually is because I read live at a third man show and then Chet followed up with me and was like, wait, we, we need to get a book. We need to get a book going. And so um, how it's delivered audibly is one way, you know, and one, one thing and, and very much a craft to share it in a certain way. And then how it lives on the page is another thing as well. And I hope that they both work, you know, that's what oh, they totally both work. For. And I do hope that there's a different experience when you're in the language on the page as opposed to having it surround you. Hello. Do you like cake, brunch, having fun? Then do we have good news for you? Friend of the pod, Joy the Baker, has partnered with William Sonoma to turn some of her favorite recipes into brunch and cake mixes for bakers of all abilities. Shop William Sonoma online and in stores now. Also, attend a summer bakehouse class. I attended one in the before times, and I can't recommend it enough. Check out Camp Joy and Pizza and Pints. New summer classes are still being added, so make sure you follow the Bakehouse NOLA on Instagram and sign up for the newsletter at joythebaker.com for all Joy the Baker and Bakehouse news. Happy baking! Was Vanta Black before or after you read at Nick Cave's feet? That sentence sounds weird, but... <laughs> you and I know what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I would read at Nick Cave's feet. F-E-A-T. F-E-A-T feet. Uh, so yes, that was the following spring. Okay, I saw you at that and I I actually cried and cried. I was so proud of you. I was like, look at Sihana. Thank you. You did. Yes, that was. It was amazing. Thank you. Actually, right beside my desk, you can't see it. I have a, the framed hatch show print from that show. Oh, wonderful. I'm like looking. I don't know if your name's on it or not. But anyway, you did such a good job at that. Thank you. Thanks. Were you scared? I was scared for you. <laughs> yeah, well, just the whole experience. I feel like I'm going to keep saying wonderful today. So let me think of other adjectives. I'm a writer. 
just that whole experience from start to finish was a powerful and gift to be able to participate in it and to see how Nick Cave shows up as an artist. And yeah, so I loved it that those days on the stage were invigorating and terrifying, right? Um, So my piece, if you weren't able to see it, in the middle of this whole show that had lot, you know, so many different aspects to it, dance and you know, a lot of movement, a lot of music. Also, we should add, I'm taking for granted that everyone knows what we're talking about. I didn't set this up well, but Nick Cave had an exhibit at the First Art Museum, but then he had a live show at our symphony center and you performed at his live show at the symphony center. Yes. And it was a very big production. It was a huge production. And so, and the way we ended up staging it is that I would be solo on the stage with just one light <laughs> in, in the midst of this, you know, a, a larger show that had so much going on. So it was, yeah, for sure, life-giving and terrifying. But again, Nick Cave was a part of the process throughout. The Frist was so gracious and one, you know, just they took care great care of our spirits and um throughout the whole time and we had all of it culminated on that stage but it started like eight months before with getting to meet Nick Cave and find out what was important to him and his art and part of that is to get into the community and to not just invite people into the frest to see his work but to actually also say like, hey, these this work lives off the wall and, and, and let me get artists involved who can also get into the community. So I got to go to lots of different organizations over eight months, several times, actually create some art with them. And as I was creating art, I was asking questions and talking. And so everything in that poem is from a conversation I had over that time. Oh, I didn't know all the background. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I feel like in some ways I, I got to cheat and say that I wrote this thing when really I just got to eavesdrop on Incredible Nashvillians for a little over half a year. And That's amazing. I had no idea that all of that was going on. I know. I mean, and that's how he wants to be an artist in the world, which I think is a great challenge to all of us when we do our art is like, oh, how... How do we not just make it accessible to the people that we think are already going to be interested, right? If you're going to a museum, you're already interested in seeing art on the wall. And so just kind of thinking of other ways that it can live outside of the space uh, that we already think is created for our art. So he challenges me in that way. And also just to like give back to the community. People would have come to the Skirmer Horn just to see Nick Cave do whatever Nick Cave wants to do, right? Um, and he invited, I think it was like 200 artists to it was a lot. participate in some way. <clears throat> um, I'm going to shift gears a tiny bit. I feel like you wear a lot of hats. Poet, editor, teacher, curator. Do you have trouble saying no? <laughs> oh my goodness, is this therapy, Kim? <laughs> that laugh was the answer. <laughs> So, my goodness, I do, and I'm learning how to say no, which is really wonderful. 
So I think I feel like that's been a gift of the this. You know, I hate saying a gift of the pandemic, right? Because the pandemic has been horrifying. So the, the gift of the last year is, has been that we had to say no. And so um, now that the world is starting to open back up, I've found invitations starting to flow. And I've seen myself want to be like, oh, okay, I can, I can say yes to that. And, but I've had a whole year to really focus on what I, you know, what is most important for me and to learn that, those two letters are powerful. There, I have a post-it that lives on my desk that it's from Shonda Rhimes, but it says, I'm sorry, no, I'm not able to do that. And I have to keep it right there so that I can just constantly like type it. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. Right? Oh, that's a great idea. Okay. Tell, tell me all of your no, <laughs> tell me all of your no secrets. That's it. Um, it's an old Oprah podcast with Shonda Rhimes. They were actually talking about what happens when you are a, a black woman in your family and you come into a lot of wealth, how do you say no to family oh. members wanting you to do right. all these things with your money? And that was the conversation. But Shonda said, I keep this sentence typed on, on my computer and it says, I'm sorry, no, I'm not going to be able to do that. And I paused it and wrote it down and it's been here ever since. Oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm stealing that idea. It's so, it is healthy. That's interesting because just today I was going to purchase Shauna Rhimes's book. Yes. But great book. And, and, and I was nervous about purchasing it because I was like, oh, I'm already good at yes. But I think she's trying to say that you say no to specific things so that you're saying yes to the things maybe that you're most afraid to say yes to. Is that, is that, that's 100. The title's misleading, but that's what the book is about. Okay, good, good. Yeah, so I have it uh, uh, on my list of books to end up purchasing. Speaking of the many hats, though, I remember I was thinking just yesterday about how when I was a child, I said that, I, you know, when I grew up, I was going to be, and I would say this in one sentence without hesitation, that I was going to be a film producer, president of the United States, um, an astronaut for a little while. Like I didn't want to be astronaut forever, <laughs> but astronaut for a little while and a writer. And it was always writer, you know, that I kept coming back to. But I would just say with a straight face that I was going to do these four really huge things. <laughs> um, so I, I think I've always had many interests and um, desires. Did you write when you were little? I did. Did you grow up here? I actually don't know where you grew up. Yeah, no. So I was, I grew up in South Carolina. I did know that because you went to college in South Carolina, right? Okay. I did. I was born in Atlanta. Um, my dad's a pastor. So then we were back in South Carolina, which is where my mom and dad grew up. And we moved all the time. So I kind of just claimed the whole state because we were never in one, one city for long. Yeah. I wonder... With the, the learning how to say no, which we're all doing, is it hard to keep enough space in your life to write and to do all the creative things you do while also working enough to pay your bills? Like, how do you have space? How do any of us have space for both of those right. things? I always have space for writing. And I think that just is regardless of 
Now, I would say. Now it's regardless of how I'm spending my time. But yeah, definitely I think that can sometimes play into my yeses, right? There's just that tangible idea of, I need a paycheck. (laughs) But I still, you know, and perhaps this is sometimes to my chagrin that I'm also just, I really am genuinely interested in a lot of things. And so, so I'm actually co-curating an exhibit at the first, which I did not know about this. Yes. So, and it's opening in January and I've learned so much about museums. Holy crap. I didn't know about this. What? Tell me everything. I mean, I said January, it's opening in July. Yeah, so it's Kara Walker. Um, Her work is coming to Nashville through the Jordan Schnitzer Foundation. And Susan Edwards, the director at the Mm -hmm. Fest, asked if I would co-curate the exhibit with her. And it's such a cool thing. And so that's one of those situations where I just am genuinely interested. And it isn't completely the path that I had in mind. I never... Yeah, you would never have heard me say a year ago, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be curating an art exhibit. But the little girl who wanted to be president film executive (laughs) astronaut sure does fit. She had that in mind. And so, yeah, so that's the the other part of saying no. You know, I'm like, if I get super laser focused on it, this is the one thing I do, then I miss out on an opportunity like that, right? that does fit. I mean, I've also been writing poetry that's going to be on the walls of the first. So it's also been a part of, you know, that me getting to write as well, but um, every element of it has just been super. And, you know, a friend asked the other day if it felt like I was an event coordinator, just because there are, you know, programs and events that we're doing with it. But even even the programs, every aspect of it really feels super poetic. It feels like putting my chapbook together, you know, mm-hmm. because you're kind of, you're trying to create a whole experience so that an entire narrative is told. Um, oh, I love to hear that. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Oh, please, please come. It's going to be fun. And we've got some good programs up our sleeves. Has it been challenging to write during the pandemic? Or have you, do you have a steady enough practice that you can just the foundation is there. You can write. Yeah. I mean, I, the foundation is there and again, like there's been so many more no's and I've been in my house. Most of it has been in my house unless I go for walks every day. And so I don't know. I, I think I probably have even better practice for writing during the pandemic. Now, what I will say though is some people ask, you know, are you writing about pandemic things? And I don't tend to, I don't tend to write about hard things in the middle of the hard thing. Mm-mm. No. So, um, and, and, you know, I, I think every once in a while there might be a line that creeps into something that is related or that's been, you know, I think I have a line about people applauding doctors in a poem that I wrote. And that obviously wouldn't have come, <laughs> come to mind um, before the pandemic, but yeah, uh, I haven't been writing into the pandemic, but definitely I've been writing through it. That's a good way to say that. Amanda Gorman at the inauguration. I wonder if you feel like all of a sudden 
<laughs> people are like, oh, poetry. Yeah, yes, yes. Right. It's been super. <laughs> it's been super to see. Um, also, I, I feel like as soon as you tell someone you're a poet or they learn about your poetry, there's one or, you know, two reactions, either just complete, like, what are you doing and how do you feed yourself? <laughs> or, or it's, they have a story about a poem or they have a poem that they wrote or they remember, even if it's just like, I remember being intimidated by it, but then this one poet, you know, spoke to me or, or a conversation about song lyrics, maybe, you know, um, so I feel like people have been into poetry for a while, actually. Or, or like, I feel like I have poetry conversations all the time, even with non-poets. But absolutely, like having a poet start the Super Bowl wasn't a thing um, and before Amanda Gorman did it, right? So um, she has... And I think they had actually scheduled that before her inauguration speech was even scheduled. So I think that's another testament to the fact that people in the last couple of years have just been opening more and more to poetry, which that for me is the goal. Many years ago, I met in like 2010, I believe, I met this guy in D.C. who was from Iran. And we started talking about, I think I asked him, like, what what he missed most about home? because he was living in the U.S. now. And I thought he was going to talk about food. And I thought, okay, this will be great because I used to belly dance at a Persian bar. So I could like, we could talk about, you know, cherry rice and, you know, all the different foods that I liked. I don't know why. I just thought he would talk about being at home with his family and eating dinner. And he did talk about being at home with his family and eating dinner. But he said, I missed sitting around the table and talking about poetry, because that's how they would spend their evenings over meals, talking about poetry. And so we kept talking through that, and he was telling me all these great stories of how much poetry was a part of the life and breath of the place. And he, he said, I mean, we talk about poets the way you guys talk about Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> and I was horrified. <laughs> And I was like, okay, our goal in America is to make poetry Justin Bieber, you know? (laughs) But yeah, so here we've got Amanda Gorman, who people were talking about her over their meals. And that's incredible. It is incredible. If you could, you're not going to want to answer this. If you could make a reading list for those folks who through Amanda Gorman and through like the last three months of her reading on TV, if you could make a reading list for people new to poetry, what would you include? Oh my gosh. It is so personal, right? So I would probably then ask the person so many different questions so that we could help them find the poems that are right for them. It's an so artful dodge. I'm not going to want to answer that. But <laughs> also, that being said, you know, when I'm working with students, and having to recommend books, I'm constantly recommending Ross Gay. His catalog of Unabashed Gratitude is usually the book collection that I recommend. I'm constantly recommending Naomi Shihab Nye. Ooh, um, I have not read that. I'm always recommending Lucille Clifton. Lucille Clifton, I think, is excellent because um, 
she packs a lot into a line, but all of her poems are the size of your pocket for the most part, you know. So you can carry a small bit with you. And whether you're new to poetry or whether you've loved it forever, every time you return to this same poem, you're going to have something new come out of it. So I do have poets and I'm like, yes, you have to read these poets. Um, Joy Harjo, Mary, you know, yeah, there, there's so many, there's so many poets that I love. <laughs> Are you teaching right now? So I just finished actually a, an anti-racist writing. With like younger folks, with like teens? No, so that was um, all adults. Yeah. Why did I think Okay, I thought you had teenagers right now. Yeah, so I am teaching, uh, yeah, I'm always like teaching seven different age groups and I love it because usually I'm at an elementary school every month working with some students, but, you know, we haven't done that this year because they aren't bringing people in. But I'm like, oh, I get to talk to fourth graders about this Heather Crystal poem and then I will turn around and talk to a 70-year-old about this Heather Crystal poem. And it's just wonderful to hear them experience it so differently and also the same, you know. So what did you teach most recently? I talked over you because I was trying to get you to the teenagers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I do have a teenage workshop coming up in a couple weeks and then I'll be working with teenagers all summer as well. But yeah, I I taught an anti-racist writing workshop through the Porch Writers Collective in partnership with Metro Arts. And it was just really wonderful to work with people who wanted to explore their own racial biases, to really think about white dominant culture and how it's feeding who they are, what they're reading, uh, you know, what it's doing to our society. Uh, and then to think about how they can write um, an anti-racist, like write into a new way, right? Write into a new future that is anti-racist. So we had, a, you know, we had so many great poems that we got to explore. We spent time actually with Raisa Tatif, uh, Tony Morrison's book, and I got excited about the work uh, the students produced in that class. So I hope, I hope it gets to be shared at some point. Do you like to teach? I do. I can, I think that you would be a good teacher. I really love it. And again, little Sienna probably didn't think teacher on her list. And I think I still probably would, uh, shun the bureaucracy of having it be my full-time one thing. But I really, really love working with students of all ages and people that want to do something with their life, you know, with the words that they have. I've taken, and uh, our producer, Mary Catherine, too, I've taken so many classes at the porch and I've taken from so many different teachers and I get something out of all of them. I've, I've written so many great essays that came out of like a porch class and sometimes just like the one day afternoon workshop, not even the big semester class. Yeah, it's great. It's, you know, when the porch first started, I was running poetry events around town. And so I I was on an advisory board just to help them get it created. But other than that, 
I really wasn't doing any teaching. So I just was taking classes and I still, I still sign up for porch classes. They've got some really great ones, but I remember, you know, Kendra DiColo now one of my closest friends, but I remember sitting in her class and being like so excited to get her wisdom. Yeah. They've, they've gotten great teachers and uh, we're, we're lucky. We're a language city, you know, we're a city of words and, um, people have stories and so it's it's great that we have the porch and southern word and these organizations that are committed to helping people tell their stories it really is and it's been and again like you said like not to make something out of the pandemic good news because it has been horrific but um that the porch has been able to get all of these teachers that normally they don't have access to but now that everything's online, they have all these teachers from all over the place. And it's been, I've taken classes with people who wouldn't have been able to drive to Nashville to teach a Saturday. They live in Arizona. Right, right. Yeah, to do one afternoon. I know so often we would have to wait and see like, oh, is this poet already coming to town? Then, you know, then invite them to do something. But yeah, it's really opened up. And I've been grateful too that you know, one of my porch classes last year, I did the chapbook class that I taught. Uh, my mom signed up <laughs> from South Carolina. It was wonderful. It was so, and I was like, mom, you don't have to sign up for my class. <laughs> That's really sweet. I've watched a couple of, they've done like live readings. And some of the people that have been reading, their moms have been in the Zoom. There was someone's mom from Connecticut. It was... Oh, and they get excited, right? My mom's like, I can't drive to Nashville, but I get to be in your class now. And, you know, and my friend from, uh, who lives in San Diego, you know, was also in the class and just, uh, you know, people, we had, we had a lot of people actually that didn't live in Nashville that got to uh, be there. And so... All of the classes I've been in this year, the bulk of the participants do not live in Nashville. I think it's taught us what's possible and people are thirsty for that. And, you know, I signed up for classes not in Nashville before, you know. So, yeah, we're all we're all thirsty to learn and, and gather more information. Yeah. And I do, I kind of wonder if a lot of us are searching for a way, if we know that this year was something we're going to need to process and maybe writing will be a way to move through what we all are experiencing. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people are just curious, like, man, I might need to write my way through this at some point in the next couple of years. Maybe I'm going to go learn some tools. I've thought about that a lot. Like, how is everyone going to process what we all just went through? And I think a lot of people will write through it. Mm, I hope so. I hope so. I hope that we find comfort in language because we all have it, right? We may not all understand each other's language. Um, It may not always be verbal, but we all have a way of communicating something and to be able to use language to communicate the hard things is, is really a gift. Ladyland listeners, have I got a deal for you. LOL. But seriously, I have a deal for you. Libro.fm is the first and only company that lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your local independent bookstore. And guess what? We have two of those here in Nashville. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your completely unstructured life. Listen during your commute to your living room. 
while doing chores, walking the dog, petting the cat, or relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free LibreFM app. Ladyland special offer. Get two audiobooks for the price of one. That's $14.99 with your first month of membership using the code LADYLAND at checkout. It's really easy. I am curious if you've been able to find very much rest and joy this year. And if so, what has that looked like? Um, so can I access joy really easily? It's a thing that I've gotten to learn about myself, and especially as I get more vulnerable with people and they they remind me that they they don't access joy easily, you know. I'll have a friend that's like, yeah, I'm doing this gratitude and joy journal to make sure that I see these things. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing a journal of horrible things in the world so that I make sure that I know that horrible things happen. Because <laughs> otherwise I will just be in my bliss. <laughs> hey. uh, so that being said, um, yeah, I guess from the start of this, I've been horrified by what's happening and uh, aware. And it would, you know, it was the easiest thing in the world for me to be like, okay, we're going to wear masks. We're going to go inside. We've got to stop the curve. I don't want people dying. So going inside was easy. And once we were inside, I'm like, okay, this is the, the wonder of my home. And so I'm paying attention to birds. And just loving being on the porch with my partner, Patrick. And yeah, just um, really able to access bliss uh, super easily. And so I would say the most peaceful thing, though, that I do is um, I think all of us are now birders. (laughs) Or I feel that happening. But I do. I started naming the ones that are coming to my feeder. What's um, your favorite bird? So um, do you say, what's my favorite bird? Mm Mm-hmm. So I I, if, if you've if you've personally yeah, I was gonna say I've named them. I had yeah. I had Lolita, who was a mockingbird, and <laughs> she kind of just followed every, you know, she's gone now. So I don't know, I don't know what happened. Um, but for a long time she would pay attention when I cleaned out the bird bath, and then she would like fly over right as soon as I finished, you know, refilling it and I, I just knew her patterns and I feel like she knew mine. And sometimes we'd sit on the porch and whistle back and forth. And, or I, I was like, oh, yes, yeah, she's having a conversation with me. So, so yeah, you're I, a songwriter is what you're <laughs> yeah. Or a crazy person. <laughs> I'm just talking to the birds. So, yeah, Lolita the Mockingbird. And I've been really into our Mockingbirds and our Cardinals. But I do feel like every week I've kind of become obsessed with a different bird. Even just now, like... This past week, I've been watching every Puffin, Atlantic Puffin documentary, and like that's available on YouTube, you know, and looking to see what books are written about puffins. Oh my God, I have two things to say. Okay, tell me. Okay, there is a park ranger on TikTok that is in East Tennessee, so Tennessee birds, and he identifies the birds on TikTok. No way. And it's been the most, it's the most I've understood about what birds are, which birds are which birds, which calls belong to which birds. So oh, I'm obsessed right. with this park ranger on TikTok. Okay. TikTok park ranger. TikTok park ranger. And did you read, uh, 
if if you have not read Late Migrations by Margaret Rinkle, I highly recommend it. She made me want to know every animal in my yard. Right. I was like, I need to know these snakes. I need to know these chipmunks. I need to know where these birds are building their nests. I mean, shout out to Margaret Rinkle. It is the most I've ever wanted to know about everything in my yard. Right, right. Um, so I have Late Migrations and... Um, World of Wonders by Amy Nazuka Matado. Have you read that one? No, but I I know of it. They both do such a great job of, yeah, weaving in the personal and, and just reminding us that all of it's nature, right? The personal and what we've now, we, we, we call nature this thing as if it's outside of ourselves. But yeah, so, so wonderful. And I, and I, I have thought a lot this year um, about all these, these, these tiny, this tiny flying world is happening around us all the time. And I just, what was I doing? <laughs> like, how was I not paying attention to how intricate and delicate and wonderful it is, um, how they're paying attention to us, how they're communicating with each other. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're fascinating and they're dinosaurs. <laughs> Yes. They're tiny dinosaurs. And we talk about these ancient creatures as if they're fiction. And yet we've got flying creatures right here around us. So dinosaurs in our yards. I know. I know. And like every every poem I'm writing this year is actually like, there's a dinosaur outside my window. <laughs> Listen, I will read it. <laughs> I might just write a book called There Are Dinosaurs Outside My Window. What are you working on right now, writing-wise? Are you focused on the poems for the frist? Yeah, so the poems for the frist are already written, but I also can Whitman a poem for, (laughs) I always say I can Whitman it because, you know, he had the deathbed editions or or what they call the deathbed editions because he kept revising till the end. So anyway. I constantly am like, oh, I'm changing this word. No, I'm changing it back. Um, But uh, right now I'm in the process of working with this incredible translator to get those poems translated into Spanish. Um, And then I've been working on a project for, gosh, before the chapbook, I think in 2016, I started working on a project around the missing and murdered children of Atlanta. I was born in Atlanta on the day that the first child went missing in Atlanta. And so, and then for two years, there were these murders that happened. Um, And my parents would always talk about it, or not always, but they would mention enough times that I remember in 2016, I thought, how was it that a bunch of black children were being killed in Atlanta and I never hear about it? Of course, since then, um, there's been a podcast and television shows and a lot of things have happened. But yeah, so all of that to say, years ago, I started working on this project and hadn't figured out what it would be. Like, would it be a book or, you know, and I even had to pause, just there's so much death and hard, hardness in learning the stories of um, all of these children that were murdered. That being said, I have returned to it, and I think it's looking, it's 
coming out in a different way, but I've been really thinking about the idea of returning home and not returning home. And so I'd say that's what I, I write a lot about right now. Obviously these children didn't get to return home and then I've returned home in a major way, right? In the pandemic. So there's a lot of home that I'm thinking about anyway. Um, I like that. I like, I like what's percolating in yeah. my mind right now. Yeah, so I, 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 it's been one of those things where I kept saying, well, I don't know if there's a collection. And now I'm like, I think, I think I feel how it's coming together. Maybe that's premature to say that on here. I don't know. And that's part of my curiosity about the writings that will come that tell our stories of this time. I, I like things like you just described that weave in different, not different realities, different personal experiences. Like I would would love to read something like that that is both your experience of being home during a pandemic like that's love layered things like that yeah I mean and so much of life is layered right yeah um and yeah and I'm like what if I had years ago just tried to force this one book I I actually feel like finally this is what it's going to be and the layers I think make it um probably stronger and perhaps end up honoring those children better than if I just tried to force a book about them alone. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Do you know? Do you identify one way or the other? Yeah, I'm an introverted. I'm an extroverted introvert. So I'm definitely an introvert in how I process and where I get my energy. But everyone's surprised by that because I'm great at meeting. Like I love meeting strangers. I love it. And, um, I can, I can literally be, you know, somewhere at a party and having the time of my life or sitting by my fire and reading a book. And both of those things can be really great joys. So, but again, I get the most energized here at home. Okay. Is there anything, I'm like, what did I, did I miss anything you want to talk about? Um, so I guess I, I, if I were to add something and I don't know if this is weird to add or, you know, mm-hmm. how I slice it Go ahead. is, you know, I started writing poetry when I was a child and have all of these journal entries that, you know, I, I keep all of these journals still. So I have these journals and terrible you know, fourth grade handwriting where I talk about being a writer when I grow up as my main thing. Like that was always the main thing that I definitely wanted to do. And yet I would say it really has just been in the last 10 years that I even thought that I could call myself a poet or, you know, pursue it with any great passion and and feel like I could make a life out of it. And so I think maybe that's one of the things that I love about teaching and that it can be with all different kinds of ages is that um, I know that some people will feel that spark and they'll be like Gwendolyn Brooks where they're writing every day since they were 11 years old and publishing when they're kids, you know? And then some of them may not, it may be until they're 70 that they feel that freedom to do it and write. But um, I... I'm so grateful for the path that got me here and that I finally have been able to embrace this as a life and a career and a passion. And, and whether I continue to make money on it or not 
um, that I've been able to own my poet self and own that that language is my art. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel so grateful. And I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I, I hope that people feel like they can follow their passion and their love and explore their art wherever they are, wherever they are. We all have some kind of art in us. And when I say art, I think science can be an art, you know, like whatever that is that sparks your curiosity. I hope, I hope that people listening will um, know that they can do it, that they can do their, their thing uh, at any, any era, any time of their life. So it's really cool that you get to introduce them on your podcast to lots of different women and their careers and um, people following their thing. Don't you dare make me cry on my own podcast. Oh, well, and, and you're and you're doing it on your podcast <laughs> and in your work. So, so cool. Siana, thank you so much for coming to Ladyland and for doing this. I appreciate it. And thank you. I'm Kim Baldwin, and that's our show. Thanks so much for joining us. To find full show notes, head over to ladyland.show. And if you know a lady that I need to meet, slip into my DMs. You can find me at ladyland underscore podcast on Instagram. This podcast is produced by Mary Catherine Rooker and brought to you by We Own This Town. Logo by Elizabeth Williams. Music by U-Drive. Download anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a minute, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review Ladyland. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.